Good morning. If it's not been a good morning so far, it's not going to get better than this. I'm going to <laughs> Sorry. We're in the middle of a series called When God Sat Down, and I'm Anush John. I'm part of the teaching team here. And last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 11. This week we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. If there is a leak in your house and you call the plumber, we assume a certain degree of assurance that, that he's going to do something good. I mean, he may, he may or may not fix the problem, but you have an assurance that he's not going to flood your house. And that's true no matter what expertise we seek. We always need some kind of assurance. When you go to a doctor, you have some kind of assurance that they're not going to give you some medicine that's going to kill you. This morning in a sermon entitled, The Guaranteed Game, we're going to look at the issue of assurance. Our text is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm going to read this passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. This paragraph is a summary of the last six chapters. So there is a lot of repetition of themes that we have looked at before and talked about before. But let me read it for us, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 following. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I want to focus in on verse 22 for the next half hour. So let me read that verse again. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I've divided this sermon into two parts. In the first one third of our time, we will look at what we receive from him. And I want to look at one particular thing that we receive from God. And in the remaining two thirds of our time, we will look at what we have to come to him with. And we will look at two things that we come to him with. First, we receive from him cleansing. We receive from him cleansing. There are numerous things that we receive from him. Even in this passage, it talks about numerous things. But I want to focus in on the fact that we receive from him cleansing. And verse 22 reads, Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In the Old Testament, they had a lot of sacrifices. They would kill bulls and goats and so on. And there are a lot of rituals in the Old Testament. And all those rituals were symbolic of an inner cleansing, but that inner cleansing never happened. It was just symbolic of it. And this is true of religions today that focus on the external. The external does, is symbolic of the internal, but the internal cleansing never really happens. And this is where the old covenant failed. But in spite of that, there was always a promise in the Old Testament of a future cleansing. And so in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 and 26, it reads, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
And through the work of Christ on the cross, that inner cleansing became real, it became comprehensive, and it became permanent. And so in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it reads, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. A very loose subjective proof of inner cleansing is a clear conscience. A very loose subjective evidence of inner cleansing is clear conscience. And I say very loose subjective because we know that the conscience doesn't really match up to our action. The conscience doesn't really match up to guilt. Because sometimes people with weak consciences can be guilty about stuff that is not really wrong. People with weak consciences can think that numerous things are wrong when, you know, it's not really a sin. So if you listen to Miley Cyrus or country music, it's a crime, but it's not a sin. <laughs> a criminal may or may not admit to a crime, but that doesn't change the guilty conscience. Right? They may or may not agree to the crime, but that doesn't change the guilty conscience. Neither grace on one side or justice on the other side can influence a guilty conscience. Let me say that again. Neither grace on one side or justice on the other side can influence a guilty conscience. Let me give you an example. Let's say after the service, you've had a great meal and you're on your way back home. You get into your car and you drive home. And as you're driving home, you pull out your phone and you look on Facebook because you're so curious to see what your classmate from first grade had for lunch and you want to know what, what he had for lunch. And so you pull it up and you look, what? He had that for lunch. And as you're paying attention to your phone, you look up for a second, there's a person right in front of you. You hit the person and he dies. The case goes to trial and the jury acquits you. You've received grace. Even though you've received grace, are you free of a guilty conscience? No, because you know it was because of your negligence that somebody died. Let's take the other side. Let's say that the jury gave you 20 years. And let's say that you're sitting in jail. Are you free of a guilty conscience? No, because you know that it's because of negligence that you killed somebody. It doesn't matter whether you got grace or justice. It doesn't matter that a price has been paid. The guilty conscience remains. How can we get rid of a guilty conscience? The only way to get rid of a guilty conscience is by going back in time and not taking out our phone from our pocket and leaving it there and not doing the deed. In William Shakespeare's tragedy, Macbeth, and if you know the story, the story is that Macbeth is a warrior and he comes back victorious and he and his friend meet three witches who give him some prophecies and one of the prophecies is that he's going to become king. And so he gets this idea into his head that he's going to become king and at the behest of his wife, he murders the actual king, his lord, King Duncan. And several days later, he is beset with grief, and he says this in Act 2, Scene 2, Where is that knocking coming from? 
What's happening to me that I'm afraid of every noise? Whose hands are these? Will all great Neptune's oceans wash this blood clean from my hands? No, instead my hands will stain the sea's scarlet, turning the green waters red. That's guilty conscience. When God forgave us in Christ, he declared us righteous, so that it is not our righteousness or our unrighteousness that God is looking at from that point on. He's looking at us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, we have undone the deed that we have done as far as God is concerned. And therefore, there is no condemnation and therefore there is no guilty conscience. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it reads, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? It is the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse a guilty conscience from the inside out. There is nothing else. I remember talking to about 15 years ago, talking to a group of people that were addicts to alcohol and drugs. They were between 40 and 60 years of age, and the last several decades they had wasted their life away. And when I say wasted their life away, they had blown up everything in their life. They had sold their property, destroyed their families, destroyed their kids, destroyed their parents, destroyed everything around them. And now here they are, wasted. And I share to them this verse and I say that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse a guilty conscience and I can see the pure relief on their faces because ladies and gentlemen, they cannot go back and undo their deeds. We receive from him cleansing. Secondly, let's come to him with sincere hearts. Let me read that verse again. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. We come to God with all kinds of reasons, for all kinds of reasons. If we are coming to him sincerely, we will seek him and not just his blessings. We don't want that in our relationship. If the only time your kid comes to you is to ask stuff from you, well... That's not what you really want. In all our relationships, we want people to love us for who we are, not because of what we can give them. And the same is true with God. And so Paul, when he was sitting in a jail and writing the letter to the Philippians, he writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He could have easily said, I want God to come and open these doors for me. Open the prison doors for me. But he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to draw a distinction between physical blessing and spiritual blessing. I understand we all need spiritual blessings. We are weak, we need his strength. We are ignorant, we need his wisdom. We are frail and prone to temptation. We want him to provide a way out of temptation. I understand that. But he has already given us spiritual blessings. So in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 it reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has already given us spiritual blessings. And 
Second Peter 1 verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So as far as spiritual requests you have, God has already answered it. Whether we appropriate it or not, that's a different sermon, that's a different question. How about physical blessings? I pray for physical blessings. I pray for safety while we drive, I pray for my kids, I pray for my practice, I pray for different things. And it's not wrong to pray for physical blessings. But it is wrong to pray and want physical blessings more than we want God. Well, how can I know if I'm seeking God's blessing more than God himself? That's easy. If we can answer this question, what if God did not give us one more physical blessing? How would our devotion to him change? What if we want to get married and we never got married? How would our devotion to him change? What if we wanted another job and we never got the other job? God never answered that physical blessing. How will our devotion to him change? What if we wanted something else, anything else, and that never happened? Will your devotion change by even one iota? If it did, then it means that we have been, or we could be seeking God's blessing more than God himself. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. When we say we love God, how sincere are we? Do we secretly mean that we love the benefits that God gives us? Truett McKeehan was a 21-year-old son of Christian rap artist Toby Mack from the DC Talk fame. On October 23, 2019, he suddenly died in his home in Nashville, Tennessee. He was an upcoming singer. His father, Toby Mack, saw him in his first concert one week before he died. And after that, his father had to leave because he had a bunch of concerts in Canada. So on his way out from the US, he texted his son and said, I'm so proud of you. Your concert was great and you did great. And his son texted him back and said, I love you, dad. Thank you for trusting in me. And that was the last text that Toby Mac would receive from his son. And while he was in Canada, his son died. So he canceled all his shows in Canada, came back home to be with the family and, and to face the tragedy of the loss of his firstborn child. Three days later, he and his wife released this statement in the midst of their tragedy, and he said this, My wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys, and he is beautiful above all things. Ladies and gentlemen, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Secondly, we come to him with an assurance from faith. Let us draw near to God with the full assurance that faith brings. We have been saved. Do we have the assurance 
that we are saved. God wants us to have the assurance of salvation. You can have salvation and not the assurance of salvation. I mean, that doesn't change whether you have salvation or not. You still have salvation. It's just that you don't have the assurance of it. Let me ask you a personal question. And, you, and if you don't want to raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Is there anybody here who's been adopted? Anybody here who's been adopted? Okay. Let's say that you're an adopted. Not, not the two of you, but anybody else. Let's say that you were adopted. You want to know that you are part of the family. You don't want to wake up every morning and wonder, is this the day that this family is going to kick me out? You see, you want to wake up every morning with the assurance that you are adopted and you are now part of the family. It is a miserable existence, a hopeless existence to wake up every morning and wonder if this is your last day in this family, even though you're adopted. And yet that is what we do in the Christian faith if we don't have the assurance of salvation. We are waking up every morning and wondering if God is going to send us to hell. There's another reason why I think that God wants us to have the assurance of salvation. Because then we are free to do the works of salvation. When you're a kid, let's say you're a seven-year-old kid adopted, at that point, once you are aware that you are and you know for sure you're part of the family, then you can do stuff in the house. As if you're a child, because you are a child. We are not free to do ministry as believers if we are not sure of our salvation. If we keep doubting God for our salvation. And it says the full assurance that faith brings. How can we have a full assurance through faith? I understand having faith based on sight. So you see this piece of paper. This is a paper because I see it. And therefore I believe that it is paper. But what about something that you cannot see? How can I have faith on something I cannot see? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. How can we have faith based on an unseen claim or a promise? Well, it depends on who is making that promise. About three months ago, I promised my son for his birthday to take him to a game. And being the amazing father that I am, I, I took him to a Baltimore Ravens New England Patriots game. The unfortunate thing was that our team lost miserably, but it was a good game for the other team. There are at least four things in consideration for us to have the assurance of a promise. First is the reason behind the promise. Well, why did I promise my son that I would take him to the game? Well, it was my own free will. It was my own free will to make the promise. I could have given him a lollipop and said, Happy birthday, son, there you go. But no, I wanted to do something better than a lollipop. And so I said, I will take you for a game. It was my own free will. Well, the reason matters, but if you're at work somewhere and you make a promise to do something at work, that is not your free will. I mean, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do at work. 
Yes, you may promise it, but that is not free will. You are obligated to do it. But most of the time when we make a promise, we make the promise out of our own free will. The second consideration is the desire to fulfill the promise. To what extent will a person go to fulfill the promise? Let's say that I made the promise to my son and on the day of the game there is six inches of snow and there's a snowstorm. Am I going to still keep the promise? To what extent will I go to keep the promise that I made to my son? The third consideration is the ability to fulfill the promise. Let's say that instead of me making the promise to my son, my daughter, who is younger than my son, made the promise and said, I'm going to take you to a Patriots-Ravens game. Well, she made the promise out of her own free will. And she has a strong desire to take him for the game. But she doesn't have the ability to take him for the game. The fourth consideration is a history of fulfilling promises. Let's say that I made the promise out of my own free will. And I have the desire, snow or sun, I'm going to take him for the game. And I have the ability to take him for the game. But if I have a history of not fulfilling promises, then he's not going to trust me when I make this promise. God promises us salvation and eternal life. What is the reason for the promise? The reason for the promise is God's own free will. God created the world in six days and he could have dissolved the world in two seconds. But he didn't. So John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. What was the reason for the promise? His own free will, his love for us. Did he have the desire to fulfill the promise? What, was, what would be the extent God would go to fulfill the promise that he made? And to see the extent that God would go, all we need to do is to look at the cross. And Jesus went to the cross so that he could fulfill the promise that he had made. Does God have the ability to fulfill the promise? If you want to see the ability of God, we shift our focus from the cross to the empty tomb. And when you look at the empty tomb, you will realize that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is able to raise us from the dead and give us eternal life. And history shows us God fulfills what he says. God is faithful. Why is God faithful? Why is God faithful? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 reads, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Did you catch that? God's faithfulness is tied to his deity. The faithfulness of God is an attribute of God just like the love of God, the kindness of God, the justice of God. And if you take away an attribute of God, it is not God anymore. God ceases to be God. And so the faithfulness of God is tied to his deity and God is faithful to his promises. And so we can trust him. We can trust his promises and we can have a full assurance based on faith. Let me end with this story. Charles Blondin was a French acrobat born in 1824. When he was 34 years old, he traveled to Canada to perform a feat that hadn't been done before, crossing the Niagara on a tightrope. So on the morning of June 30th, 1859, in view of 25,000 people that had traveled from far and wide, 
Blondin walked on a 1,300 foot long rope, which was two inches wide. And as he started this walk, kids hid behind their mothers and several people fainted and onlookers held their breath as he walked over the Canadian side of the falls. Over the course of time, he would go numerous times across the Niagara. In fact, he would go 300 times across the Niagara on a tightrope. And just for fun, he would add more and more challenges to his walk across the Niagara. Once he walked halfway, and then he looked down at the tourist boat that was underneath called the Maid of the Mist, and he put a line down, pulled up a bottle of wine, drank it, and then walked the rest of the way. Talk about drinking and walking. Another time, he put a sack on his head and walked blindfolded. Another time, he walked backward. Another time, he took some utensils on his back and went to the middle of the line and pulled out his utensils, started a fire, made omelet, and continued his walk. Another time, he took a wheelbarrow across. And then he wanted to take someone across on his back. The only person who would agree to that was his manager, Harry Colcord, who had seen his ability and performances and trusted him. So Blondin gave his manager, Harry Colcord, these specific instructions. He said, look up, Harry, don't look down. You are no longer Colcord, you are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we both will go down to our debts. And so Blondin carried Harry Colcord across the Niagara. It's interesting how we sometimes sit in the hand of God and try to balance ourselves and God. If Harry Colcord was able to have complete assurance in the desire, ability, and history of a human acrobat, is it impossible to ask us humans to have complete and utter faith and throw ourselves into the eternal hands of an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign, good and loving God. He gives us the reason for us to have assurance and that reason is himself. I'm going to give the opportunity for three groups of people to respond to this sermon. If there's anyone here with a guilty conscience, there is nothing that can take away our guilty conscience other than the blood of Jesus. You can pray a prayer in a minute after me. Secondly, if there's anyone who loves the gifts of God more than God himself, you can also pray with me. Thirdly, if there's anyone here who has a lack of assurance, and this lack of assurance comes every time there is a problem, Every time things don't go our way, we wonder if God is for us. If, wonder, if we wonder if the God that went to the extent of sacrificing his own son is for us, how preposterous is that? 
And yet we doubt God. And yet we doubt him. Let's pray. There's anyone here who's never invited Jesus into your life. And you're walking around with a guilty conscience for the things that you have done. The good news is that God made a promise to give us eternal life. And to fulfill that promise, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and to show the ability of God to fulfill the promise, he was raised again. You can pray something like this. If it's a prayer that that you mean from the bottom of your heart, God will answer and fulfill his promise. You can pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I carry with me the weight of my sin and the weight of a guilty conscience. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, your death, your resurrection. I ask you to come into my life and make me complete. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Heavenly Father, I pray for the rest of us who sometimes seek you for the things you give and not for you. Help us, like Paul, to want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. I pray for those of us who have doubts, who are believers and have doubts. I ask you to cleanse us. Help us to fall back into the arms of God. Help us not to try to balance you as you carry us, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.